Welcome to the Disc Dump Podcast. I'm your host, Miles Trout, and I'm on a mission to declutter my house one disc at a time. Hello and welcome to the Disc Dump Podcast. As always, I am your host, Miles Trout. I have been working on this episode for literally months. Episode 10, baby. Oh, yeah. Today's episode comes to you from a galaxy far far away. That's right, I am gonna do a Star Wars episode. Woo! Specifically, I want to cover one of the best stories in the Star Wars subtext, The Force Unleashed. This is a video game that predates the Disney takeover of Star Wars. Not only did I play the PS2 version of this game for today's episode, but I also played the Xbox 360, PS3, and Wii versions. Every version of this game is completely different in its own ways, so I couldn't do this story justice by playing just one version. Even down to the story, it differs. It's crazy. Additionally, I read the novelization of this game, which dives into a little more detail of the auxiliary characters, and it's not all from one character's perspective like the video game is. Needless to say, I've done a tremendous amount of research to do this one. I warn you now, though, this podcast will have spoilers for everything Star Wars, the movies, the books, everything video games all of it so if you are a big star wars fan or if you are not a big star wars fan whatever just know that i'm gonna ruin everything (laughs) i'm gonna spoil all of it so if that's a problem for you if you haven't seen the latest star wars movie this is not going to be the one you want to listen to okay but first a brief history long ago in a galaxy far, far away. The Force Unleashed video game bridges the gap between episodes 3 and 4. The Emperor initiated Order 66, which decreed the execution of all Jedi at the end of episode 3. Most of the Jedi were killed in one swift motion by the stormtroopers who accompanied them. However, many Jedi escaped across the galaxy. Darth Vader was assigned to track down and eliminate all of the remaining Jedi. Darth Vader pursues a Jedi named Kento Merrick on the planet Kashyyyk. Kashyyyk is a Swampland-type planet that is primarily inhabited by Wookiees. Vader has to slice through a hairy militia of well-trained Wookiees to get to Kento Merrick. Kento Merrick is no match for Darth Vader, very few are. After Vader kills Merrick, he sees that Merrick has a son with force potential. In that moment, Darth Vader devises a plan to take revenge on the Emperor. In Star Wars lore, Sith Lords are destined to kill their masters. Vader is planning to kill his master, the Emperor, with the help of an apprentice of his own. So Darth Vader takes Merrick's son and trains him in the dark side of the Force. Later in the story, Vader names his apprentice Starkiller. I will be interchanging the names The Apprentice, and Starkiller throughout this podcast. Try not to get confused. There's just a lot of star things and killer things, but there's also a lot of apprentices. So I will be referring to him mostly as The Apprentice, but also probably Starkiller. So that's the main character, Starkiller slash The Apprentice. The Apprentice only has two companions that travel with him regularly. Number one is Proxy the Holobot. Proxy is a Holobot who can project holograms over his metal body. 
This allows him to look like anybody who calls or anybody that he has studied. Proxy is basically Starkiller's cell phone for when Darth Vader calls, but he also helps to train Starkiller because he can take on the form of various Jedi he studied in the past. That includes Obi-Wan Kenobi, Mace Windu, and Qui-Gon Jinn. Basically, the apprentice has been trained by all of the greatest Jedi Masters in history. Juno Eclipse is his pilot and only other companion. She's a decorated pilot of the Republic and has a tremendous talent for flying and combat. Obviously, Juno becomes the love interest as she is the only female that Starkiller is allowed to interact with. Her beauty fluctuates pretty distinctly between each version of the game, but her mad piloting skills are consistent across all platforms. Everything goes sideways for Starkiller when he is sent to kill the powerful Jedi, General Rom Kota. Kota was a general in the Clone Wars who never trusted the clones. Because he never trusted the Stormtroopers, clones, he surrounded himself with a well-trained militia of non-clone soldiers. In an attempt to flush out Darth Vader, Coda leads a campaign to destroy TIE fighter manufacturing plants. He does get Vader's attention, but Vader uses the opportunity to train his apprentice in combat. Coda is unprepared for the raw power of the apprentice. As their lightsabers cross, Coda looks into the apprentice's future. Coda is surprised and distracted when he sees that their fates are intertwined. The apprentice uses this opportunity to blind Coda with his lightsaber and fling his body out of a window into the vacuum of space. Obviously, this foreshadows Coda's return to the story later. How does Coda survive the vacuum of space? The only answer is space magic, but I digress. The apprentice returns to Darth Vader with Coda's lightsaber, but Darth Vader is unimpressed. He sends Starkiller on his next mission. Next, Starkiller chases down an outcast Jedi named Kasdan Paratus on the planet Raxus Prime. Raxus Prime is a droid graveyard covered in junk. Kasdan Paratus was forsaken and exiled by the Jedi Council. In his isolation, Paratus used junk to replicate the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Starkiller battles through droids galore before he enters the Foe Temple. Starkiller does a lot of intellectual damage to Kasdan Paratus by murdering the droids that represent the Jedi Council. He even uses Yoda's robotic doppelganger as a projectile to destroy Obi-Wan Kenobi. As Paratus lies dying in a pile of robot arms, he says, I'm sorry, Masters. I have failed you again. Man, the cruelty in this game really pulls on the heartstrings, yet somehow it's like so satisfying to kill some of the most powerful good guys in Star Wars lore. Anyway... Sent by Darth Vader, Starkiller travels to several planets, killing Jedi and Sith alike for Darth Vader. Keep in mind that Sith are not friends with each other, so Darth Vader uses any Sith that come up on his radar to train the apprentice. Perhaps the most difficult part of the game is a major plot point. Starkiller is sent to kill Shakti, one of the members of the Jedi Council. She lives on the jungle planet Felucia with her apprentice Maris Brood. The battle with Shakti is a long-winded battle, regardless of the difficulty. In the PS2 and Wii versions, she's more focused on repelling Starkiller's attacks, as she is far more skilled and powerful. But in the Xbox 360 and the PS3 versions, she brings the heat. She will mess you up. She eventually determines that she does not want to kill Starkiller, though, because he has a lot of force potential and he should come to the light side. She kills herself by jumping into a sarlacc pit to transcend through the force. 
Before she dies, she warns Starkiller that the Sith will betray him, and he must choose the light side of the Force before it is too late. Starkiller rejoins Vader, presenting him with Shakti's lightsaber. For the first time, Vader is impressed and pleased, deeming Starkiller's training complete. But at that moment, the Emperor reveals that he has been onto them the whole time. At the demand of the Emperor, Vader betrays Starkiller, impaling him with the lightsaber and flinging him into the void of space. Of course, Starkiller survives. Space magic. Starkiller awakens to find himself in the care of medical droids on a huge medical base in space. Proxy displays Darth Vader, and Darth Vader reveals that he's planning a rebellion against the Emperor. He orders Starkiller to unite all of the enemies of the Empire in this rebellion. He agrees, even though Darth Vader just stabbed the hell out of him a little bit earlier. Juno Eclipse is being held on that same ship as a prisoner. The Emperor has named her a traitor, and she is awaiting sentencing. Starkiller rescues Juno as an act of kindness, but he tries to be all smooth, claiming that he needs her to pilot the ship. But she sees what's going on. There's a wink-wink in there. You know what I'm saying. Neither of them know how to start a rebellion. Starkiller remembers what Kota said about their futures being intertwined, so he seeks out Ram Kota. They find General Ram Kota in Cloud City on Nar Shaddaa. That's a very urban planet. Ram Kota is pissed that he's blind, so he's turned into an alcoholic and he feels like his tie to the Force has been severed. But he reluctantly agrees to continue Starkiller's training in the ways of the light side. Together, they find Princess Leia, who they convince to join the Rebellion. She agrees only after Starkiller single-handedly ends Wookiee slavery. That's right, Darth Vader's apprentice begins the rebellion with Princess Leia. They look for Princess Leia's adopted father to finance the rebellion. Driven by hate and sadness and fear, Shakti's apprentice Maris Brood abandons the light side. Somehow, without any explanation at all, she has captured Senator Organa, who is Leia's adopted father. Maris Brood takes on Starkiller and their fates parallel through darkness and light. Starkiller defeats her, which is no easy task, but he does not kill her. He buys some bullshit she spins that she's going to find her way back to the light side, so he's like, okay, and he lets her go. It's real dumb. Darth Vader reaches out to Starkiller through proxy and accuses him of finding a new master, which he kind of did. Vader commands him to destroy a satellite on Raxus Prime, and Starkiller agrees. Because Vader reaches out to him, Juno starts to wonder if she can even trust Starkiller. Battling his way to the bottom of the Empire base, Proxy sees an opportunity to execute his primary programming. His primary programming, of course, is to murder Starkiller. Proxy uses his displays to look like the various Jedi and Sith that he studied over the lifetime of working for Vader and Starkiller, including all of the ones that he fought during the process of this game. Proxy surprises Starkiller by taking on the appearance and style of Darth Maul. This is totally new for Starkiller, and Proxy finally gives him a run for his money. And the fight is pretty badass. But Starkiller defeats Proxy, and then he overrides Proxy's programming so he doesn't have to kill his oldest friend. When they emerge from the base, a Star Destroyer targets Starkiller from the sky. For those of you who don't know, a Star Destroyer is one of those big triangle ships that house like tons and tons and tons of stormtroopers and all kinds of spaceships and stuff. It's huge. So, in an incredible display, the apprentice proves that he is one of the most powerful force users ever to have lived. He grabs the Star Destroyer out of the sky and smashes it to the ground using only the force. Now organized in one place, the rebels establish that they are going to align to defeat the Emperor. But what's this?
Darth Vader leads his troops into the meeting to smash the rebellion. That's right, it's the old double, triple, quadruple cross. Should have known with Darth Vader. Starkiller tries to stop Darth Vader, but even Starkiller is not strong enough to defeat him. In an act of redemption, Proxy sacrifices himself to distract Darth Vader for long enough for Starkiller to escape. With Juno, he brings Juno with him. Darth Vader manages to capture Rom Koda and all of the other rebel leaders, leaving Starkiller and Juno to try and escape and then track them down later. Starkiller uses the Force to locate Darth Vader and Rom Kota on the Death Star. Juno takes him there and they share a sweet smooch before Starkiller battles his way to save Rom Kota and the others. There are lots of lasers and explosions before Starkiller makes his way to Kota. The Emperor commands Darth Vader to go and finish Starkiller off once and for all. Starkiller and Vader duke it out in a knockdown, drag out brawl. They all but completely destroy the walls and every room that they enter, throwing lightsabers in each other's bodies, shooting lightning, choking each other, blasting each other with lightning. It's just, it's crazy. As fate foretold, Starkiller defeats his master, Darth Vader. Before Starkiller can land a lethal blow, Ramkota implores him to stop. That path would only lead to the dark side. The Emperor uses Sith Lightning to knock out General Kota and tries to convince Starkiller to finish Darth Vader. Starkiller is presented with a choice. Starkiller must choose between his two masters. Does he defeat Darth Vader once and for all and allow the Emperor to kill Rom Kota? Or does he attack the Emperor to try and save Rom Kota with the hopes that Darth Vader will help him defeat the most powerful Sith to have ever lived? Well, the game has two endings. <laughs> So uh, the results are pretty much the same, but it uh, it's pretty crazy. So of the two endings, one of them is Starkiller chooses to fight the Emperor and save Ramkota. This is by a million miles the most difficult part of the game. I fought the Emperor for like 45 minutes, and it just would not end. It just we just kept fighting. It was so hard. Once again, though, once Starkiller wins, Kota keeps Starkiller from actually killing the Emperor which is a big mistake, because as soon as the Emperor gets a chance, he recovers, and Starkiller has to sacrifice himself to hold the Emperor back from killing all of the rebel leaders. His sacrifice buys the rebel leaders enough time to escape on Juno's ship, but it costs him dearly. The Emperor basically fries Starkiller up and turns him into, just cremates him, he just fries him up with the Sith Lightning and that's the end of Starkiller, and Darth Vader says, Oh no, he's become one with the Force, and the Emperor goes, Then he is more powerful than ever. The other ending, of course, is that Starkiller finally kills his master, Darth Vader. As is the fate of all Sith. The Emperor demands that Starkiller then kills Rom Kota. Instead, Starkiller turns on the Emperor and gives the Rebels a chance to escape. The Emperor is so powerful in this ending that Starkiller does not stand a chance, but his sacrifice is not in vain. In either case, the Emperor sears Starkiller's skin and beats him to a pulp, but then he gets put into the chair. The same chair that the Emperor put Anakin Skywalker in. The same chair that produced Darth Vader. In that chair, Starkiller is outfitted with a helmet and a suit to become the Emperor's next apprentice.
what a great conversation I'm having with somebody or nobody. I don't know because I'm recording this before I recorded the episode and I'm having trouble getting a guest. Uh, I have a few announcements to make. First of all, this is episode 10. I can't believe it. I think it's kind of a landmark episode. So I really thought I might have quit by now, but I'm more motivated than ever to keep putting these out. So I'm actually pretty stoked about it. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear your questions, concerns, suggestions, comments, whatever. I want you guys to write in to me and anything you say to me about this podcast will make it into the next episode. So in order to get your anything featured on the next episode, I want you to write me an email at discdumppod at gmail.com. That's D-I-S-C-D-U-M-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. Don't forget that little PP in there. It's important. You can also check out the Disc Dump at, on Twitter at Disc Dump. That's the place where the videos get uploaded first. So just immediately as soon as they're uploaded, you can see them live on Twitter before anywhere else. You can find me on Instagram at Disc Dump Podcast. Again, don't forget the little PP in that one. Uh, that's where you can see promotional pictures and stuff like that. Probably the easiest way to get my attention is to go through Facebook. I have a page that's the disc dump, but I wouldn't, you can like it. I would appreciate it if you did, but more importantly, you should join the group, the disc dump podcast fans. I have over a hundred people in there and there's a lot of discussions about upcoming episodes. You get, I post little teasers on there. You can see the actual episodes on there. You can start conversations with people. Uh, you can ask about the terrible drinks. You can ask about whatever we're watching or playing or listening to put your feedback in there and there's a really good chance that anything you do in these groups might end up on this podcast if not I mean I'll definitely communicate with you back and forth on there so again that is the disc dump podcast fans page and that is just the information hub of all things disc dump I want to say a very special thank you to some friends and some family and some fans first I want to thank my some of my family members who've been listening to the podcast for instance, my Uncle Jay. What's up, Uncle Jay? Thank you for listening. I know that we don't talk about conspiracy theories very much, and that's like your favorite thing, but I hope I'm still holding your attention and you're enjoying it. Speaking of uncles, I want to thank Lindsay's Uncle Scotty, who reached out to us and was asking us about paranormal activity and stuff inside the Haunted Museum from the Casino episode. Hopefully we're going to have a lot more stuff to add as far as spooky stuff for Scotty to enjoy. I imagine we definitely will. Last but far from least, I want to thank my boy Lee. Lee is always eager to ask me about the podcast and at, while we're at work, and he wants to ask me questions. He wants to talk about future episodes. He's always excited. So thank you, Lee, for listening. I appreciate you so much. Uh, okay, so I have one big announcement yet. This announcement is um bittersweet, shall we say. Uh, this is going to be the last episode where we use the song Demeter off the album Daughter of the Seasons by Memoria. Uh, we are moving in another direction as far as what we're going to be having as our intro, but that doesn't mean I love the music any less, and it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate Johnny, who is the band leader of Memoria, for letting us use this song. It has gotten us through the flagship episodes, the very first ones. You are amazing thank you for letting us use your music so as a thank you at the end of this episode you are going to be able to hear the entire song demeter off of the album daughter of the seasons by memoria you can find a downloadable version of this song on bandcamp 
when you type in Memoria Metal. That is your opportunity to support local artists because they provide amazing music and you can see them and it's just, it's so good. You guys really will enjoy all of Memoria's music if you like heavy metal. So at the end of this episode, we're going to be sending off the song Demeter off the album Daughter of the Seasons. Thank you so much, Memoria. All right, so I guess that's it for announcements and thank yous. So I will get back into the discussion. Thank you so much, guys. So the beginning of this game is wild. I don't know of any other Star Wars game that lets you play as Darth Vader, especially right out the gate. I love any game that makes you feel overpowered immediately. There's something so satisfying about being a hammer when most games make you feel like the nail. You know what I mean? This game is all hammers. <laughs> Snapping Wookiee necks is pretty satisfying. But more satisfying is the destruction of the terrain. You can interact with so much stuff. Force blasts send shit flying off the walls, they rip trees out by the roots, they blast bodies off into the distance. You can pick shit up and fling it at people, which is awesome, but even better is like to pick up bad guys and throw them at other bad guys. It's pretty great. Anyway, Darth Vader smashes a Jedi, and that shit is awesome. It's a preview of every major fight to come for the game. Like, one-on-one -on -one duels are so juicy and fantastic. You can really feel like you're fighting someone, and it is so satisfying to whoop their asses. Sure, it's fun to chop stormtroopers into pieces and ATATs, but there's something so therapeutic about a rumble in the jungle with a Jedi. Speaking of which, Shock T. Okay, so this game is full of momentous occasions, but fighting a member of the Jedi Council has to be one of my favorites. On the PS2, the whole battle feels like she's holding back on you, and she passes on opportunities to attack constantly only to block and repel you. It takes so long to catch her off guard, and she can heal and shit. It really feels like fighting someone who's a million miles more advanced than you. Talk about frustrating. This differs in the other versions of the game from the PS2 because on the Xbox and the PS3 she brings the heat. The whole fight is mostly you defending yourself from her and trying to keep her from flinging you into the Sarlacc pit. She is so freaking tough but I like the nuances of the PS2 version of the game better because she obviously is way more wise and powerful than you so why would she be so aggressive? On the PS2 the controls of the game are pristine. The responsiveness of Starkiller to the controls in the game are crazy. He can block while he runs. He can. The same button is used to move stuff telepathically as just to send big forces of force to knock everyone over with force. 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 On the PS2, he also has most of the combos like right out of the gate and you kind of have to unlock them in the other versions. The PS2 version is also significantly longer than the Xbox 360 version. However, the Xbox 360 version has a lot of benefits over the PS2 version of this game. For one, the game is gorgeous on the Xbox. The difference in graphics between the PS2 and the superior Xbox 360 and PS3 versions is night and day. The PS2 is smooth and geometrical, and the newer consoles have vivid detail and nuance. Even by today's standards, the Xbox 360 version of this game is beautiful. 
The controls on the Xbox are a lot less responsive because you have more individual control over your abilities. On the PS2, you are just a wave of chaos and destruction wherever you go. On the Xbox, you're more calculated and methodical about your methods of disembowelment. I imagine that's similar to the PS3 version. Truth be told, I only played the PS3 version of this game for a little bit because I was just helping a friend beat Kazdan Paratus and Shock T. Uh, what I saw when I saw that version was that the settings are actually different on the PS3 from the other versions too. And I, I gotta hand it to LucasArts because they made four versions of a story that are completely different but play to the strengths of each system. Storyline and graphics are identical between the Wii and the PS2 version. However, the controls are wildly different because on the Wii you sort of swing a lightsaber in real life. It mostly feels like you're spastically waving your arms around, but it looks pretty cool on the screen. And the Wii version is by far the most difficult version of this I've played because the controls are just tactile and weird. On the PS2 and the Wii, the story has an unmatched longevity because it is longer than the Xbox version. And I realize that's because the DLC, the downloadable content, for the Xbox version came out later. So the PS2 and the Wii, you can't download more things to them. So they included all the levels, but they sacrificed story for that reason. So you get about a third more game with the PS2 and Wii versions but the storyline suffers. That said, there are entire scenes that are critical to the story which are missing from the PS2 version of the game. For example, you never fight Proxy. That makes his sacrifice at the end of the game so random because he saves Darth Vader and it's like some big moment of redemption, but it doesn't feel like that because he doesn't fight Proxy at any point in time in the PS2 version. Also, the relationship between Starkiller and Juno is, let's say, forced in the PS2, pun intended, force, get it. They don't really have any good times at all in the PS2, but in on the PS2, at least she's prettier. On the Xbox, she has big bags under her eyes and she has like buck teeth in the front and she looks like they tried to make her pretty and then something just is off. So they made some mistake somewhere because she is not pretty in the better graphics. But in the Xbox version, they do have a lot more conversations. So that kind of builds their relationship a little bit better. But they actually have like some development there and they kiss because they have emotions. In the PS2 version, they're just like, where are we going? We are going here. Let's kill this. All right. It's not, uh, there's no drama there. In the novel by Sean Williams, which I read, we hear a lot more about Juno Eclipse. She participated in genocide on the planet Kalos and she followed orders directly from Darth Vader. But when Darth Vader was like, hey, kill all these innocent people, she was like, I don't think I'm comfortable with that. And Darth Vader didn't just immediately kill her. She disobeyed his orders, but then she kind of caved and was like, all right, I'll do what you say. He gave her a different assignment to kill other people, and she didn't like it, but she did it anyway. Juno has PTSD for the rest of the story, but her obedience to Darth Vader is why he chose her for this mission to escort Starkiller around. He doesn't trust anybody, but for some reason he trusted her. The only other character I know of who mouthed off to Darth Vader and lived to talk about it was Boba Fett, the Mandalorian. Speaking of Mandalorians, in the show The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, the final episode reveals the Dark Saber. The Dark Saber is a weapon forged by the first Mandalorian-Jedi combo. The fact that there's a bad guy in the show that has that epic weapon is wild. And this smoothly transitions me to lightsaber lore. 
Obviously, many of the novels have discussed the nature of lightsabers and how Jedi apprentices must assemble them on their own. They combine a hilt with a kyber crystal to create their own unique blade. The Force Unleashed offers a wide variety of crystals and hilts to create custom lightsabers to fill Starkiller's needs. I enjoyed the purple lightsaber as much as the next guy, but the orange one was my jam. Apparently, in the new Jedi Order game, if you'd pre-ordered the game, you would start off with the orange lightsaber. While there isn't a canon meaning to the orange lightsaber, I personally think it's the coolest looking. On the Xbox version, the lightsabers can have completely different stability levels, which creates wavy patterns and like bursts of light and stuff that give each lightsaber a totally unique look. In the latest movie, uh, Rise of Skywalker, they never really explain the significance of the white lightsaber that Rey builds. From what I understand, that means that the wielder is a true master of the force overcoming the consequences of the dark side. She is the only person in the live action movies to reach this accolade. The most popular colors for lightsabers are blue, green, and red. Sith use red to represent their tie to the dark side, so naturally Starkiller starts with a red lightsaber. It feels appropriate to kill the Jedi with a red lightsaber, so usually I stick with the red until the tables turn and you kind of turn into a good guy at the end of the game. I recently read the book Darth Plagueis by James Luciano. That one is excellent if you like the prequel movies like I did. Not everybody does. I get that. I love them. That book is the story of Darth Plagueis and his experimentation with the Force. He seeks to become immortal through his manipulation of Metachlorians. His apprentice is Palpatine, who becomes the Emperor later, and really is the ultimate bad guy of the Star Wars universe. The reason I bring this up is because I learned a lot about the nature of the Sith through this book. It comes before Episode 1, so there's a lot of space politics to set up Episode 1, which I'm not everybody's favorite, I'm sure. It, that wasn't even really my favorite part. I don't mind space politics, that's fine but it gets to be a little much in that book, but it's a super rewarding book. So I learned that the Sith don't get along in that book. The apprentices are taught to hate their masters through systematic abuse and isolation. Perhaps that's why the apprentices are always destined to kill their masters, because they pine for revenge through their entire course of their training, which is over years and years and years. They're just thinking about how bad they want to kill their masters. Emperor Palpatine, in his youth, takes on an apprentice of his own in secret. Darth Maul. He teaches Maul how to be very powerful and eventually sends him to kill Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan chops him in half and sends him down an exhaust shaft. And that's the last we hear of him for a while. Darth Maul has come back in cartoon form, but also at the end of the Han Solo movie. I'm excited to see more Darth Maul in the future, but the third installment of The Force Unleashed was supposed to be a Darth Maul game. That's when Disney bought Star Wars and canceled all of their projects. The Jedi Order game is a direct descendant of the Force Unleashed game, but I'm pretty depressed that we won't see a Darth Maul game anytime soon. Darth Maul's appearance in the Force Unleashed literally gave me goosebumps. Proxy takes the form of Darth Maul at one point, which makes me wonder exactly how long the Emperor has had Proxy in his possession. Did the Emperor have Proxy observing Darth Maul or even training him before Proxy came into Vader's possession? Because Darth Maul was trained in secret, his origins and data would not be available in the archives for Proxy to download. Therefore, Proxy would have had to observe Darth Maul in action to take on his traits. Does that mean the Emperor knew about Starkiller the whole time? Was the Emperor Starkiller's real master? I hope to find the answer in The Force Unleashed 2. So now it's time to decide if I want to keep this game or dump it. 
In short, the answer is yes, as all of them seem to have been lately. I will definitely dump the PS2 and Wii versions of this game. I'm going to donate the book to the library, and the Xbox version, I'm pretty likely to play that again. So, I'm going to keep the Xbox version. Thank you all for listening to the first 10 episodes of this show. I know there were some other ones in there too, but there are only 10 official canon episodes of the show. As promised, it's time for us to say goodbye to Memoria's song, Demeter, off their album, Daughter of the Seasons. You stay tuned to listen to the whole song from beginning to end at the end of this podcast. Don't forget, the force is with you. And now, enjoy some heavy metal tunes. Yeah! 